0: Good morning, village. Hope you're all doing well this morning. Good to see you. Good to worship together. Have you ever thought about how to learn something new? Learning something new can be challenging, right? I think of swimming for a minute. Now, I remember one time when one of my kids, we were in a pool together, and they didn't know how to swim yet, and so they just walked into the water, which is fine, and then they walked into deep water over their head and they just stood there looking at me. <laughs> underwater, which tends to not be a, a, a state you want to stay in. And, and, and so I ran over or swam over and grabbed them and pulled them back up. but They, they hadn't learned how to, to swim yet. But one of the approaches to teach people how to swim, right, as a dad, is like, you're like, it's going to be okay. Come on, let's get to the water. And then you take them to the deep end and throw them in and see what happens. <laughs> Right? No, no, don't do that. Um, although I know sometimes that can happen. I, I know um, from from different stories, one of the ways that sometimes they do training at fast food places, they're like, oh, go cut the tomatoes or go do this. And you're like, I've never done that before. And they're like, well, you'll learn. And and sure enough, you learn. And it, it's, it becomes a somewhat effective way to learn something pretty quickly when it's not life-threatening like swimming. And, and sometimes you just got to go do it. And you learn that way. And and today, you're probably wondering what this had to do with today's text. Today we come to Saul, who had just gone through the road to Damascus. God had just grabbed his heart, changed his life, brought him to himself. And so how does he now hit the ground running, or how does he start to follow Christ? You know, should he, should he wait a few years, maybe take five years of Bible college and ten years of seminary? For some of us, that took the long approach. Um, and then maybe he can go share the gospel with someone. Or does does God want him to do something different? Now, I'm not negating Bible college, please. I, I love the, my Bible college background. I love my seminary background. And I think there's so much value to those things for continuing ministry. But if those types of things and other things stop us from ministering for God until that's done, then we have a problem. Because God wants us to hit the ground running. He has changed us. He has made us new. And He wants us to tell people about that from day one. And so today we're going to look at Saul and what happened with him in the days. And we'll take the days after his conversion all the way through a couple years and we'll see what happened with him. How did he dive right in and jump into the deep end? How did God equip him to do ministry? Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we'll be looking at, um, verses 19 to 31, the end of 19 to 31, as we're picking up last week. And if you remember last week, like I said, Saul was on his way to go take Christians off to jail. He had gotten letters of permission from Jerusalem, the letters of permission from the high priest of Jerusalem that he could take to the synagogues in Damascus that allowed him to break into Christian homes, that allowed him to break into Christian gatherings and haul them off to prison, back to Jerusalem. Now we also know from Acts already that at times that meant let's just stone them on the spot. At times that meant beating them first. And so Saul was not a nice man. In his words, he said, I ravaged the church. And and and, and he, he mentions this several times as he is working through his past. And on his way to Damascus, almost there, in the heat of the day on this desert road, God shows up. And and in a blinding light, Jesus shows up and he has an encounter with Jesus where Jesus says, who are you persecuting? And and, and Saul's like, well, I, I don't know, who are you? And, and he goes, well, I'm the one you're persecuting, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you think is dead. I'm, I'm alive, I've risen from the dead. And I am the Messiah. And Saul goes on to Damascus. He's blind. Ananias, one of the unsung heroes of the story, comes and Saul becomes a believer. And Saul, in all of his zeal and all of his passion, realized it was directed the wrong way with the wrong assumptions and the wrong beliefs. And now that's all turned to Jesus Christ. And we get to see today what happens with that. The first steps of what happens with that. The rest of Acts, we're going to see a lot further steps. But today is the first steps. The, what did Paul do? What did Saul do? And I'll use those names interchangeably. Same man. What did Saul do in the days and years that followed that kind of conversion? So Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 19. And I want to read the text first, and then we'll pull out some observations from the text. Observations about sharing the gospel, about hitting the ground running, and and about community involvement in the gospel. So starting second half of verse 19. "'For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, "'He is the Son of God.' And all who heard him were amazed and said, "'Isn't this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose?' to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. but they were seeking to kill him. The the hunter became the hunted. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. I pray that as we dive in, and look at some of these verses. You would challenge us to, to jump into your work. To jump into sharing the Gospel. Lord, to let nothing stop us. Thank you for Saul. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's work that changed him. And for his work to found the church, Lord. In your precious name, amen. So as we come to this text, there's a lot of different things that are happening in this text. Some of them, you probably heard in Sunday school. Some of those, sort of the basket going down the wall. You can probably see the flannel graph and your teacher sort of lowering the basket down. And, but we want to we take this and, and look at what's happening in Saul's life. Look at what's happening in the life of the church. My, my summary statement there is the new life from the Holy Spirit is clear as Saul immediately starts to powerfully preach the gospel and the church overcomes concerns to welcome him. And in this process, at this beginning stages, God is putting in place the pieces for what is going to be some of the greatest missionary journeys of all time, where new churches are founded all over Asia Minor. But God is preparing both Saul and the church for this expanded ministry. So this morning, as we, we go back through the text, I just want to make four observations about sharing the gospel, about the communities and efforts in sharing the gospel. And the first observation is God equips us to share the gospel now. God equips us to share the gospel now. The right time to share the gospel? Now. It, it's Sharing the gospel is never something we should have to wait on. It's never something that it's like, well, I need more training. I need, I need three more evangelism classes, then I'm ready. Let's go. Sharing the gospel, if you're a believer... If you've been changed and made new like we sung this morning, then now's the time to share the gospel. Now's the time to tell people the greatest news you have ever heard and the change that God has made in your life. Let's look at the text. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately, and I would underline that word or highlight it depending on, on how you feel about marking your Bible, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of god and so right he he is converted this man was hated by the church he hated the church and a few days later he's in the synagogues that he had letters to go take the christians out of preaching that jesus is the christ that jesus is the messiah this is crazy a crazy turnaround and i love it but he immediately went and started sharing the gospel And and there's a couple things out of this that that we want to understand. The the Holy Spirit is the one that gives the words for us when we're sharing the gospel. He is the one that speaks through us. He is also the one that, that causes repentance and changes lives in the hearer. It's actually not up to us. We are just called to be faithful and share the word. And so Saul knows this and he hits the ground running and he jumps right in saying... You know what? Jesus, I have a different view of Jesus now. He's the Son of God. And so we're going to see in, the, in this little section as, as we talk about sharing the Gospel now, there's some things that stop us from sharing that didn't stop Saul. And we need to think about those. Don't let these things stop you from sharing. The first is inexperience. Inexperience. See, you could say, well, well Saul's not experiencing this. He He doesn't... He hasn't even heard all about the life of Jesus. But what did Saul know? Jesus was dead and He's not now. And He changed my life. And He's the Messiah. He has He's the hope that we have. He's who we've been waiting for. And that was enough to start going. Now, now Saul probably had a, a general understanding of Christianity because he was pursuing them and hating them and, and trying to... to convince them that they were wrong but his inexperience did not hold him back from from sharing the gospel he starts sharing the gospel right away immediately he didn't know all the details but he knew he was the Messiah and when we see phrases like he is the son of God that meant he was saying this is the Messiah you were waiting for you are waiting for and you missed him you killed him and so he is preaching powerfully the Word of God. Now for us, sometimes I know it can be hard to share the Gospel. And one of the, one of the excuses or one of the things that holds us back sometimes is, I don't know that I have all the answers. What if they ask me questions that I don't know the answer to? And, and quite honestly, they might. Whoever you're sharing with might. People are, are pretty well versed in objections. And my, my challenge to us today is that's okay. It's okay to not have all the answers, but jump in, dive in, and start sharing. And it's okay as you're talking to someone, and, and, and again, this this can get to some of our assumptions, but it's okay to say, I don't know. You know. Sometimes we think, oh, we have to know everything, and maybe they won't come to Christ if I say, I don't know. So I'm going to make up an answer. No, be genuine. Say, I don't know, but let's look it up. I have some people I can go talk to at church and or we can study this together. Let's find out. That will go further to, to generating a life-giving relationship with somebody than making up an answer. It's okay to say, I don't know, because none of us in this room know everything about God's Word. And so go on that journey with them to say, let's explore this. Let's find this out. I can find answers. Now, this is not an excuse for ignorance because we should be studying. We should be growing. We should be seeking answers. But don't let the idea that you're inexperienced and don't have all the answers keep you from sharing the beauty of God's Word. Do you know that the most common time that people share their testimonies and share the gospel that has results is within the first year of conversion? Within the first year of salvation, people share more than almost at any other time because you're excited and God has done something and and it's a personal story. And the challenge is for those of us that have been believers a lot longer because it's easy to forget that excitement. It's easy to forget that I once was lost and now I'm found that I was a wretch and now I'm saved. These are astounding changes and astounding things that are powerful to share. I am a new person. I am changed. I once had no hope. Now I have complete, perfect hope. That'll preach. That's a message people need to hear. Now along with this, don't let perceived inexperience hold us back from sharing the Gospel. Understand, we do work to speak truth, though. Like I said, it's not an excuse to stay not knowing, but we work to speak truth. Even in 20, immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. We read that, we're like, okay, He's the Son of God. We know that. This is such a loaded phrase and a doctrinal phrase for them. Because what that meant, that, that phrase meant not only that Jesus was the Messiah, and we're going to see that later when he says Jesus is the Christ, which is a, the, um, the name for Messiah. But he's saying that, that Jesus here is divine. He's saying that this is the promised one, and he's tying into Old Testament, this is the promised one to sit on the throne of David for eternity. And, and for, for the Jewish mindset to have someone arguing that this was the Messiah, you had to be developing a correct theology to do this. The high priest, when Jesus was talking, when he claimed to be son of God, the high priest called it blasphemy and called for his death because that was a statement of divinity. And so Paul wasn't just saying, Jesus is really cool, come to him. He also was learning and making sure that he was speaking truth and able to defend truth. And so the answer and the the, the challenge on this is jump right in No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter matter how much you know, jump in, tell people about Jesus, but be growing in your knowledge and seeking truth. Saul learned so much on the road to Damascus. He learned from Ananias. He learned from being with the saints at Damascus. And he started telling people right away. It was beautiful. Verse 21, we see the effectiveness. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound to the chief priests? And this man that was one way and God has changed, now speaking forcefully for the for the beauty of who Jesus is, was changing lives. Don't... Let things hold us back from sharing the gospel now. Sometimes we can be with our neighbors. We can be, well, you know, I'm going to share. I'm going I'm to build this. I'm going to share in five years. I have a five-year plan to reach them. We don't know what's going to happen in five years. Now, I'm all for building relationship and out of relationship sharing the gospel. But let's, let's see some urgency as we do that. Let's look to, to be reaching this world for Christ We are still God's church. We are still left here to do His work. That is our mission. Let's be on mission. And another thing that shouldn't hold us back, just as I was thinking through and meditating on where Saul was coming from, the second one there is embarrassment. Don't let embarrassment of your past or your mistakes hold you back. I I can't fathom what Saul did here. Because if I had just killed some Christians and if I was taking them to jail, I would be super embarrassed to go and say, you know what? I was wrong. Jesus is Jesus is the Messiah. Accept me. Come, come become a Christian. You could see where his past could hold him back. You could see where his belief system and, and the embarrassment of being wrong and all that could shut him down. I was supposed to arrest these people. What do they think of me? But that didn't hold him back. In fact, I, knowing Saul, I think from, from the word, I think it emboldened him. Emboldened him. He's like, I was wrong. This is the truth. Sometimes I think Satan can do this to us when he says, you know what? You were really bad before Jesus. You, you have no right to say anything. How dare you say they need to change? Actually, if you look at them, they were a little better than you were before salvation. And Satan can use our past and the guilt of that to keep us from sharing and to keep our mouths shut. Village, our past isn't something to be embarrassed of. Our past is something to say Jesus took care of. What an amazing God we serve. And that becomes part of our story. And that becomes a powerful part of our story if we're willing to share that we blew it and that we're not perfect. The other thing that shouldn't hold us back was opposition. As we read throughout this text, and this is sort of taking several verses, but but starting in, in 22 and then 23, the opposition is rising. 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. Later we find in Jerusalem, they want to kill him. That's hitting the ground running. <laughs> Already people trying to kill him. But that opposition also didn't stop him from sharing. Sometimes he had to move around and follow the Spirit and be judicious in that. But he never was quiet. He always found a way to share the gospel. You know, that's just a few of the things that I think could have stopped Saul in this case, but didn't. And and I think the question for us is what stops us from sharing? What keeps us from sharing the gospel now? God's the one that equips. The Holy Spirit gives the words. The Holy Spirit causes the results. So what stops us? It's not the Holy Spirit. And so I challenge you this week, if there are opportunities, tell people about the hope you have. Tell people that all is not lost. That Jesus died for our sins and forgave our sins and He has a hope for a future. And let's be a people that vocalize our walk with God. Second observation. First one, God equips us to share the Gospel now. You can look back at your notes if you want. God equips us to share the Gospel now. Thank you. Okay, we're going to wake up. Um, Second one. Marvel at how God radically changes those that believe and make that part of your story. It's a a long way of saying, be amazed at how God has changed you. Be amazed at how God changes others. If we're not amazed, if we're not um, reflecting on the, the power of conversion and transformation and what God has done in our lives, it's really hard to get excited and share that with others. But we need to be amazed at what God has done. We need to marvel at that. It's why I love... We have three or four songs we sing that talk about amazing grace. Do we still believe it's amazing? Or do we take it for granted? Here, this is part of Paul's story, is how changed he was. This is verse 21 when I said, "All and all who heard him were amazed. What were they amazed at? He's, he's a really good speaker. I really like his tunic today. No, what were they amazed at? They were amazed at the change. He once was this way and now he's this way and it says that is not this the man that made havoc in Jerusalem. He killed Stephen or was part of stoning Stephen. He he was he was taking Christians away. And and they went on to say, in fact, We're pretty sure that's why he came here. He had letters. So what was different? And that was part of his story. What was different? In verse 27, a little bit later, Barnabas catches the same thing. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And Barnabas says, yeah, yeah, he once was was persecuting us, but but he met Jesus on that road and it completely changed him and now he's preaching boldly for Jesus. It doesn't matter where you're coming from. If you haven't chosen to follow Jesus today and one of your reasons is there is so much junk in my life that I don't know that Jesus can handle it, let me tell you straight on Jesus can handle it. His blood can handle it. His death can handle it. It already has if you turn to Him. You know, we, don't, we don't want to keep, make, make Saul our, our whipping boy here, but if God can save Saul, <laughs> He can save us. And, and, and I say that not, not, not trying to use Saul as an inappropriate example, but that's his example he uses later in the epistles. He's like, if he can save me, the chiefest of sinners, he's got you. So don't let that stop you from coming to Jesus. Jesus can change you. He can heal the past. He can forgive the sins if we give them to him. But out of this, I want us to just think for a moment what does it mean to be completely new? What does it mean to be new? And uh, there's a couple passages that I want to read because this is astounding that we are a new creation, that our, our sinful nature has been dealt with. It no longer has to control us because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we are new creations. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 19 And maybe write down these passages. Study them during the week. We'll look at these in a little more detail in our community groups this week. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and, and what the Spirit is saying there, the old man, it's done. It's paid for. It no longer has authority in your life. It no longer has control. We no longer have to be afraid of death because that has been swallowed up in victory. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, now there's a tension here, and I acknowledge that, in that this doesn't completely happen on day one. We still fight sin in our lives, and we feel, still fight those sinful habits, and, and elsewhere in that same book, um, Paul writes that we're changed by degree, from degree to degree into Christ likeness. And so it's this idea that when we come to Christ, we are completely changed, we are new, and then throughout our life, He gradually works out the stain of sin that's still in our lives, the habits of sin, the, the entanglements of sin, and makes us more and more Christ-like. But the old has passed away. Think authority. Think control. The new has come. I, I, I still love the picture of adoption, which is throughout the New Testament. Because at the moment we come to Christ... We no longer are in our, our worldly family, so to speak, of this world and of this nature. We are now adopted as sons and daughters of the King, with a new name, a new identity, a new future. And and when we had adopted a couple of our kids, they became Johnsons fully, and and that is now their identity of who they are, and their future. That's what Jesus did for us. The old has passed away. The new has come. We're family. Paul goes on to write, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which is what we're talking about today. God changes us. Christ changes us bridged that gap that that our sin caused between us and God, made us new so we can tell others the same story. In Ephesians 4, also written by Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking through him. Ephesians 4, 22-24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, that's the sphere we're leaving, and to be renewed or literally made new in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a miracle. This is the, the best miracle. That we are taken from death to life, that we are made new through no work of our own but the grace of God village be amazed at that maybe some things that help us do it do this is to think where would I be without Jesus where would I be if if I didn't know Christ if I don't know God's word and I'm just making all my decisions in life based on my own self-interest where would you be now now I see some heads shaking back and forth not a pretty thought when you think of all your natural impulses and, and there would be broken marriages and there would be broken everything. And and we <laughs> can't even really think of where I'd be without Jesus. But that's the beauty of God's grace is we're made new and we're not that person. We haven't gone down that path. We haven't made those choices because of Jesus. How are you different from the world? And maybe that's a question we have to ask in this whole process. Am I acting like I'm made new? Can someone look at me and say, yeah, I do see something different. Could they Could they with, with Saul? <laughs> Radically different with Saul. He once was this way, and now he's completely opposite. My prayer is that we as a church are, are that different in how we approach people, how we approach relationships, the grace that we show to others, the kindness that we show to others, the morality of choices, not just because, oh, they're moral and they'll help us, but because this is the character of God. Those kinds of things will make a difference in this world. How are you different? Make that part of your story. And so we're to share the gospel now. We're equipped to do that. And part of this in this passage is to marvel at God's ability to change. In this case, the ability to change Saul, a man that that was not after God's heart and became a key leader founding the church to the rest of the world. Third observation. This is just a quick one. The more we share the gospel and defend our faith, the better we'll be at it. Sort of makes sense, right? Right? This is like using a muscle. The more we do it, the better we get at it. The more we, we learn something. You know, someone throws you in the deep end, the more you swim, the better you swim. And this is true of Saul. Look at verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And this is one of those verses that I've read over and I'm like, okay, That's cool. But but in studying it, the idea here is not strength physically. In fact, the, the wording doesn't support that. It's not a physical strength, but he grew in strength in the word. By the way, he was already telling people about Jesus. So, so this, this was a, a, a second step in this. But the more he told people about Jesus, the more he defended that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the better he got at it, the stronger he got at it. To a point where he was confounding the Jews who lived there. He was proving Jesus was the Christ or the Messiah. This is really cool. And, and the same is true for us. If, if, if we jump in and start sharing Jesus, the more we do that, the better we'll be at it. The more we learn, hey, if I, if I share this part or if I ask this question, those are good things to learn. Defending the faith is like that. Apologetics is like that. You won't have all the answers like I already said up front. But the more we try and then the more we go and find the answers to those questions, the stronger you'll be in your faith. The more you'll be able to answer questions. And so this is just a a quick observation from the life of Saul. It says he increased all the more in strength because he was doing this. He confounded the Jews that were there. He proved that Jesus was the Christ. Fourth observation. Embrace godly community as it is vital and valuable to the gospel. So, so far the first three are about sharing the gospel, jumping right in now, making sure we're learning truth and, and making sure that that um, we're doing it and getting better at it and growing in it and not letting things stop us. The fourth one is think of how community helps in this. And we see this throughout this text, how community is, is part of the process and and he's embracing them because they are vital and valuable to the gospel. And, and how are they? And we're gonna pull from a couple of different sections here. The first is community picks us up and encourages us, encourages us to keep going through troubles. Community picks us up and encourages us to keep going through troubles. And we saw verse 19 for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. They're encouraging him, they're teaching him. But then jump to 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, now it's really interesting because this would have been at great risk to to the disciples. This was not just an easy way. And and we have to understand the walls at the time. Sometimes houses were built into the wall and there's windows. And so all this is is very true with the archaeology of the time. And the disciples heard about this. They heard about this plot. And they came together and they supported him at great risk to themselves. And they saved his life so he could continue sharing the gospel. So they had already encouraged him and taught him. They had already provided him home and resources and a means to share the gospel. And now they're putting themselves at risk in order to continue his, his gospel ministry. This is amazing. A couple of, of side notes just as we, we look at the text. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now as we compare Galatians 1 and some of the different stories, we're, we're trying to compare, okay, what does the, many days... Now, many days here probably was closer to two or three years. So he had spent some time in this area. Now, from Galatians 1, we find, especially 16 through 24, we find that he didn't just stay here for these two years. He actually went down and, and, and he... Um, went into some of the areas, the Nabataean Empire around there, in Arabia down there, and he continued to both be taught by God and to share the gospel. Jeremiah, do we have that map? And do I have a pointer? And so we already know that he had come from Jerusalem up through Galilee and then to Damascus. And now from Galatians, we know he spent time in Arabia. Arabia then was not modern-day Arabia. Arabia was the, the Nabataean Empire that went from here all the way down to about here. It went this area and probably over here a little bit more. And so we know that during those two years, Saul says, I spent time down here and, and God, the Holy Spirit taught me and I was growing in my faith. Now, it also looks like he was also sharing his faith because you couldn't keep him quiet. And what's interesting, just as you look at the history, he comes back to Damascus at some point. The Jews are trying to kill him. But in Galatians, it says, also the Nabataean governor of Damascus was trying to kill me. So the the governor that was set up by this kingdom here was now trying to kill him in Damascus. And this is just some conjecture, but we got to ask why. And, And I think it's because... He's caused so much of a stir down through Arabia, and he's back, and they're like, "Take care of the guy, shut him up." And so we have the the governor trying to stop him, the Jews are trying to stop him, but the church stepped up for him, and the, and Saul escapes Damascus. Fact twenty five, it says his disciples took him by night. It's not saying they weren't disciples of Jesus, but these were now people under his instruction that he was teaching to follow Christ. It's interesting. The same thing happens at the end of the story, right? Jump to 29. So he, he, they let him down. He goes to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a moment, what happens in Jerusalem. But in verse 29, um, he's speaking against the Hellenists there, those that are Greek-speaking Jews but aren't Christians yet. Um, and they're seeking to kill him. What happens there? When the brothers learn this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Community again saves his life. They have his back. They continue his gospel ministry. In fact, just for the, the map again, so now at that point in the story, he's in Jerusalem, and they, he's about to be killed, so they take him. They take him up to Caesarea here, which is a beautiful port city um, of the Mediterranean Sea, and they put him on a boat and they come up to up here. <laughs> Sorry, the map, the map overran a little bit. To Tarsus, which is Saul's hometown. And he actually is going to spend about 10 years there before Barnabas goes and gets him and says, let's go start some churches. And he's ministering up there and he's sharing the gospel up there. The community was always there to pick him up, keep him going through troubles, get him through troubles... And to keep his ministry going. And I'm reminded of that because I'm reminded that as family we take care of our own, right? We are to we're to be watching out for each other, we're to be caring for each other. When one falls, the others pick, pick him up. And as we do that, we encourage each other to keep sharing the gospel. But beyond that, godly community also facilitates the gospel. And I've seen this happen here and I love this. Go back to verse 28 and 29, sort of between those sections. So he gets to Jerusalem and, and he's, he's finally accepted by the church that we'll talk about in a minute. He went in and out among them at Jerusalem, 28. And 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 that phrase is actually really important to say they provided him a home base. He was able to go in and out and they took care of his his needs. They gave him a place to say, stay preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And you get a picture here of the church supporting him and facilitating his ministry. This was his home base. And they were part of his ministry by partnering in his ministry. You know, there are so many ways. One of the things I'm excited about is when we come together to share the gospel. And there's so many ways that we can help partner with each other in that. And some of the things you've done, I've mean, i seen some of you that have done parties and you invite some neighbors that don't know Christ and you invite some church people that do know Christ and you put them together and just see what happens. And it's really cool because that's a way we can support each other by going and eating good food together and having good conversation. Because what that's doing is showing these neighbors that don't know Christ what the body of Christ looks like. Now, if nobody from church goes, how effective is that? Not varied. But as we come together and be a little more strategic in how we do this, this can be amazing. I know some of you have invited others from the church to go caroling in your neighborhood together. Because that is the way then that we can come together, have a bigger presence, and, sh- and really show who Jesus is to people. Some of you have come to, to us and come to others in the church and say, hey, my neighbor needs this. They don't know Christ. I remember one case, they don't know Christ, but they need new tires. And they don't have the money for, for new tires. And people in the church came together and we got them new tires. Might that speak to the love of Jesus? And so all these things to me are community coming together and facilitating the gospel together. Yes, the time for sharing the gospel is now. But that doesn't mean you're alone. How can we come together and do this? You know, there's barbecues I've seen happen that have been wonderful ways to do this and, and all kinds of other things. But here's the thing. As we go to those things together, be watching what you say. Be watching how you say it. Let's be God's church beyond Sunday morning and show people the change that God has made in our lives. If we go and there's no difference, then it, it made no difference. The godly community facilitates the gospel. Living Nativity. There is no way on earth that the staff could put on Living Nativity by themselves. I'm Joseph. I'm the innkeeper. I'm the rabbi. man, The shepherd. Yeah, we just have lots of different parts. No, but by a hundred people, actually we had over a hundred this year, a hundred people coming together and being community, putting it on together, we together shared the gospel. And it was a good thing. It was a God thing. And so godly community key facilitates the gospel. I see this all over this passage where they are giving him a place in Damascus, teaching him in Damascus. He's not doing this alone. They save his life. He comes to Jerusalem. And and we're going to talk about Barnabas in a minute. We'll end with Barnabas. But we see Barnabas coming alongside and having his back. We see the the saints at Jerusalem giving him a place to, to have ministry. All of these things are partnering together to make sure people hear about Jesus. The final... Observation is Barnabas, like I said. And I want to look at 26 and 27. And in your notes, be Barnabas to younger believers. Be Barnabas to younger believers. Sometimes it takes one person to encourage community. Sometimes it takes one person to speak up and make a difference to create community. Even today, even at Village. We need more Barnabases. 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, so Saul comes to Jerusalem. He's kicked out of Damascus. They lower him down through the window in the basket. He gets away, makes the 150-mile trek to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem, and he attempts to join the disciples. Keep in mind, this is probably a couple years after his conversion. But he hasn't been back to Jerusalem, so they've only heard stories. But part of the stories they hear include the, the beatings and the stonings and taking to prison And he's changed. Right. And so Saul comes. He attempts to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Is this a ploy to get in? Is this a trap? Same thing I think they had to to ask themselves in Damascus. And Ananias stepped in. So here, he's been almost killed. He's been run out he's trying to preach the gospel, he gets to the headquarters of the church, and they don't want to let him in. But, in verse 27, and underline that, but Barnabas took him. And we've seen Barnabas before, right? Do you remember where we saw Barnabas already? Barnabas was one of the ones that sold his property, gave it to the apostles to help others in needs, he, this is the guy he was. And we're going to see him later in the missionary journeys. And Barnabas, well, wasn't his real name. It was a nickname and it meant son of encouragement. He was such an encourager that they just started calling him the encourager. But Barnabas took him, took Saul, and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas stood in the gap for Saul. No Barnabas here, no missionary journeys of Saul. And he, this ordinary man who was just faithful to God, he stood in the gap and said, I believe him. I believe Saul has changed. And I've seen evidence of that in his preaching. I think you should too. And they listened to him. And they accepted him in. And so that's where it follows. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. I love how God uses ordinary faithful people who are willing to stand up for truth. He's courageous to do this. He's standing up in this case against, with Peter and James. And he's standing before Peter and James and saying, you got this one wrong. This man's a believer. We need to accept him in. And and there's all kinds of lessons there. One is when someone comes to Christ, we need to make sure we're welcoming. And we need to make sure that we recognize God has already adopted him into the family, so maybe we should treat them like family. And that's what Barnabas was standing up for. He was courageous to stand up for what was right. He was courageous to speak up on someone else's behalf. We need Barnabas's. We need Barnabases that will stand up for each other. That when there's criticism of someone that says, you know what, let's not criticize them. They're growing and God is changing them. I'm seeing incredible ways God is using them. One of the best ways to stop criticism is a positive word. (laughs) Because then the person's like, uh, don't know what to say now. That's a Barnabas practiced. And it's a beautiful thing. So, who are you a Barnabas for? Who will you stand up for? Especially for younger believers and especially for our teens that are here. They need people to stand up for them and say, they love Jesus too. They're part of church family too. Because we all are church family. So, be Barnabas to younger believers. Verse 31 ends the section, it's just a church update. As, as Luke often does. At the end of each section, he gives an update. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. Well, Saul was no longer killing them. So that that actually every scholar said that was part of it. Saul's off the scene, so the church was doing a little better. Um, Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Catch the three things mentioned there. Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Those are the first three areas of Acts eight. you You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. And so the first three sections of that verse are, are met. And the rest of Acts is going to be preparing and then taking the gospel to the end of the earth. But also the end of that verse, two things about the church and it multiplying They walked in the fear of the Lord, so they had an awe for God. They were devoted to God. They loved God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were actively saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do? Seeking God's direction. And with those two things, the church multiplied and blossomed, and we get to see how God takes it to the end of the earth. This story, we're going to focus off Saul for a couple chapters here, but this is Luke saying, okay, the Saul piece is now in place. The church approach to others is getting better. And we're going to work on that in the next two chapters. But God is putting his pieces in place for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And it's going to be fun to see. Let's pray. Lord God, help us as your people to share your gospel now to be excited about the good news, to see how it has changed us, to be amazed by grace, and to share that with others. Help us to stop waiting. Help us to to stop um, letting things get in the way and distract us from sharing the gospel and being about the main thing. Lord, I pray that this week there would be people for us to talk to. That the one that we're praying for as we talked about earlier this year, the one that needs Jesus, that we'd have an opportunity to talk with them and to build more relationship there. Lord, I pray that you would bring people here that are accepting you because we are doing your work. Lord, expand the family by bringing people into the family. Thank you, God, in your name.